Welcome to the Soccer Podcast, where we talk soccer in Delaware, soccer in the rest of the world, and everything in between. I'm Sebastian, and this week I'm joined here by Anthony. What's going on, everybody? And Jenny. Hello. No Dwayne. Dwayne's MIA. Not yeah. a shock. I, I don't know where he is. Uh, he's not here. Uh, so we will maybe listen to – maybe he'll jump in for, for a different part of the podcast. We, we don't know. He's just not here. We do know that part. Uh, so this week is a very exciting episode. We got, we got two special guests coming in a little bit later, um, that are, are bound to give us a really, really exciting time and probably some of the most, um, informative, uh, information, informative information. Is that, is that a word or is that a, is that a phrase that's allowed or no? It's definitely multiple words, and I also don't think they go together, but we're just going to run with it. Fair enough. <laughs> we'll, we'll throw it up to the analytics and marketing department uh, to, uh, to fact-check me later. Um, but we are going to have a very exciting interview with two wonderful guests that I'm very excited to have. Uh, but before we do that, um, we're going to talk a little bit about the summer camp that Anthony just wrapped up last night. Anthony, how was this summer camp this week? Uh, it was so much fun. Um, we had, I think, 12 registrants. Uh, it was pretty hot out there, so there was a couple days where not everyone showed up. Um, but it was just a blast. We played so many games. We uh, worked on dribbling on Monday, passing on Tuesday, shooting on Wednesday, and then we wrapped it up with just a really fun day on Thursday. And uh, – you know, just when you're outside and you're playing soccer, it's just it's it's so much fun. It doesn't matter what the game, it doesn't matter what the age. We had we had kids that were born in 2013 playing with kids that were born in 2007, and it just worked. You know, it was just it was so much fun, and uh, you know, I'm looking forward to the next five camps here. Yeah, that's right. I was out there Wednesday. Uh, I did the shooting day, which was really exciting. Um, we played golf. That was the highlight, I think, of the uh... soccer golf. What a game! What a game! Right? What? What? I've great... never played soccer golf. You've never played soccer golf, Jenny? No. Oh man! <laughs> I've All never right. heard of it. All right, Jenny. We are uh, we are doing soccer golf at camp next week. When you come out there, <laughs> and uh, we're gonna have you play some soccer golf. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah. Very very much fun. And not only that, it gives you the ability to do it in multiple different ways. Uh, you can get really creative with it. Um, so it was, it's a, it's a great, great game. Uh, and, and actually yesterday in the, because, uh, you know, they picked the games on the last day of camp. They chose soccer golf as the warm-up game. And uh, Maddie, uh, who plays for um, our 2009 girls team, 2009 girls team must have made like a 35 foot uh, shot to win it in like an extra hole of overtime. It was, it was phenomenal. We were well going done. crazy. Well done. Well done. We had the golf claps. That's right. Good. Good. Just, and if you couldn't hear the golf clap, that's, that's, a, that's a good thing. Well done. That's well done. Yeah. Um, so uh, this weekend is a, is something a little bit interesting is happening. We have our first team going to a tournament. So our high school girls team, our 2003 girls team is going to a a tournament this weekend they're they're going up to the pen fusion summer showcase this is our second time going uh we went last year as well and had a had a really good time with it 
So our high school girls are making their season debut uh, to a certain extent. Um, kicking off tonight at six o'clock. So Dwayne and I will be will be going tonight. We're going to be playing some uh, some good competition from Maryland uh, and Pennsylvania. Uh, looking forward to to seeing how the girls perform this weekend. Um, so I think it'll be it'll be a really good really good event for our players a good way to for them to showcase themselves against or in front of a lot of college coaches that i'm sure will be there um as we still have some players that are looking looking for for a place to play in in a couple of years or next year when they when they go to college so we're really excited about that so seb how did you uh prep the girls for uh, uh different covid procedures for why you guys are up there so uh from a from a guidelines perspective, the tournament has done a fantastic job of giving us a lot of information. Uh, they've already had a previous tournament, APL, who's a, a tournament company that we, we support a lot. We're going to be part of the PRCL in the fall with them as well. Um, but we're going to – one of the guidelines is we're having all the girls bring their own chairs uh, so that way we can maintain social distance on the, on the bench. So that will almost feel like the MLS. A little bit so i'm kind of excited about that um we're also they also paint uh on the spectator side they paint boxes where parents are allowed to sit like individual like family members are allowed to sit inside these little boxes by themselves so they can again somewhat maintain social distance which is important uh obviously no handshakes um no and we've and we've done a good job of that preparing the players throughout that i think um, we had to almost reprogram what we had looked to do over the last two years where we talked about handshakes as players come in uh, to practice. So obviously we're, we're not doing that anymore. But I think by, you know, week five, the players understand they're not supposed to, they're supposed to maintain social distance. And I think this was the first week where I naturally saw it, where we didn't have to necessarily constantly remind the players. I naturally saw social distancing, which was good. Uh, it means that we're, we're getting through to them and they're starting to understand that this is just our new normal that we have to live for or live with for the, for the foreseeable future. So uh, as far as a team preparation, um, we are, we, we've trained, you know, a couple of times. We trained twice this week and we trained uh, twice last week and we've been training once a week over the last four weeks before that. Um, we got to play the 04 boys, which was a good, good challenge for the girls um you know before a tournament was good um so coach chad's done a fantastic job with them um i'm his assistant coach so i'm just you know i'm i'm one of i'm one of uh i'm the second assistant Dwayne's the the first assistant coach so i'm basically just the team manager and the water boy i bring i'm the equipment manager actually there you go uh, i bring the i bring the uh the the college profiles um i bring the cones i bring the ball bag that's that's my role yesterday if you might have seen on our social media accounts and jenny remind everybody what our social media accounts are really quick before we before we get to the next topic so facebook.com backslash delaware union instagram at delaware union soccer and twitter at de union soccer that's right <laughs> So that's last night we uh, or yesterday afternoon we made a post. So our rec registration is opening up next Tuesday. We're very excited about this. Uh, we've created all the guidelines that uh, we're going to follow. 
uh, Dwayne, Anthony, and I have worked over the last month or so on creating all the guidelines for our recreational program, different procedures, different scenarios if we need to change or make adjustments. So we're really excited about our recreational program starting up again. And what we're also really excited about the restructure of our youngest age groups, which is our U3, U4, U5, and U6 recreational program, which we're now calling the Discovery Program. Uh, Anthony, give us a little bit of an overview of the Discovery Program. Right. So, um, obviously, with all the different uh, procedures and guidelines that we have to follow coming up here in the fall, um, the recreational team was trying to find ways that we could have uh, you know, less interaction on Saturdays and not as many people at Silver Lake to abide by proper social, guide, uh, social distancing guidelines. Um, and we also tried to find a way where we can really focus in on the basics of soccer for our youngest age groups, you know, our twos, our threes, our fours, and our fives. Um, and we decided that the best way to do that was to have own personal sessions. Um, so, you know, 30 minutes, 45 minute sessions where we have the really, really young ones come out to the field and it's more laid back environment. It's not competitive, but we can really focus on the soccer skills um, while also having a bunch of fun, you know, uh, is, is there a way that we can, that we can teach dribbling or is there a way that we can teach a kid how to pass, um, but do it in an environment that they want to keep coming back there. They're not just coming because their parents want them to do something on a Saturday morning. Um, and I think that we did a nice job. Uh, we, we, we were able to come up with a um, you know, it, it shows the basics. It's able to have parents get involved, but it's also able to have, you know, a trained coach um, really go into the basics and instead of, you know, just uh, everyday parent who is just there as a volunteer um, and maybe doesn't know the appropriate strategies of teaching the youngest kids because it's such a vital age group uh, where their their brain is just taking everything that they get taught in um, so we can break some of those habits and hopefully get when they go to that U6 and that U7 and they're ready to play in a little bit more of a competitive environment, um, they're more prepared. So it's just, uh, we're really looking forward to the launching of uh, this, uh, this discovery program and um, we'll see how it turns out this fall. Yeah. I think that's the key. I think discover the discover phase is, is important. I think you, you mentioned it. I mean, the, the players are taking a lot of it and I'm seeing it right now with, with my own daughter, who's, who's going to be participating in the discovery program because she's in that age for the U3, the U3 age group. And every day it's something new that, that she's picking up, she's doing. Um, and the ability to have, for example, for me, either myself or my wife be a part of it and still participate with her because obviously there's the hesitation from her as, as my daughter, not wanting to necessarily leave our sides because the idea of being around people she doesn't necessarily know. Um, exactly. So for, especially at the U3 and the U4 age group allowing the parents to be a part of it or a family member to be a part of it uh, is extremely important. And then I think at the U5 and U6 age group where kids in general want a little bit more of this self-discovery uh, yeah. where they want to explore on their own a little bit more, um, I think is going to be extremely important. And just to discover the game, right? Learn the game 
completely from scratch to a certain extent. Obviously, we'll have some some players that will have either older siblings that are playing in our club in the recreational and the travel program. We'll have uh, we'll have some kids that have had parents that have played soccer before uh, or coach soccer like myself that may be around the game in general, but they'll, I think they'll get to see it in a different way. Uh, they'll discover it really for in a fun environment. Uh, you know, as coach Anthony said, or as Anthony said, uh, by train, train staff members. Um, and, and we're looking forward to it. Yeah. And, and I think another thing is with, when you're talking really, really small children, and you go out and if you've been part of our rec program on Saturdays at Silver Lake and it is there's tons and tons and tons of people there offering this on Tuesdays and Thursdays it's gonna uh, give some parents some relief from that stress of are, are we going to be interacting do we have to wear masks even though we're right on top of people are we properly social distance you know it just gives an extra option for those really younger age groups that um you know obviously are at a higher risk so when i think and i think the other part of it it just it offers flexibility in general the one thing that we we haven't had at those age groups is flexibility as not they don't practice once a week so they just play on saturday mornings so this gives us the ability of three different time slots that you can pick or three different days that you can pick actually uh, so you can either practice on a Tuesday or you can practice on a Thursday or you can practice on a Saturday morning. You pick the session that you want to to do, and that's what you'll do every week. So you can do all Tuesdays, you can do all Thursdays, or you can do all Saturdays. Um, so that'll be really exciting. And I think the small group uh, environment will be great. Uh, and the program comes with a T-shirt that that will have our logo on it. And, um, and every season, you'll get a new T-shirt with a different color on it. So hopefully my – my goal is that a player that starts the youth three H group, by the time they're done, they'll have eight different t-shirts already from our club that they can wear around. Um, so that's really exciting. So we're looking unless forward to, unless they grow. <laughs> yeah. Unless they grow and then they can just have like 16 different t-shirts. Yeah. So, so we're really excited about that. So be on the lookout uh, next Tuesday for the opening of registration uh, for all of that. So speaking of t-shirts, Speaking of t-shirts, Dwayne, I believe, is coming on the podcast. Dwayne, are you with us here today? I'm here, baby. I'm ready to go. <laughs> right on time. Dwayne came in right on time, clutch, <laughs> right for the special guests, right when they come in. Uh, Dwayne is here. I believe that. I think you planned it. Yeah, you got to make an entrance sometimes. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you do. All right, so with us today, very excited about this. We have Ian Hennessy, the UD men's head soccer coach. Coach Hennessy, how are you? I'm good. I'm so happy to be uh, on this pod with my brothers and sisters here. I think it's a great idea. Um, I think it's the future of uh, a, a growing segment of uh, education and conversations uh, around the beautiful game. So I'm thrilled to be here, and especially since I have a former player that you'll introduce here, who's uh, a wonderful, wonderful, one of my all-time favorite people, John Shear is here. Yeah, that's right. John Shear, the Director of Talent Identification for the Philadelphia Union Academy. John, how are you? I'm doing great. Uh, thanks, Sebastian. Really good to see you guys, and 
yeah, when you reached out about coming on, uh, something that really, really excited me. So excited to, to chat. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to dive in a little bit about player development in general. Uh, you both coach at different, different levels of the game, so that'll be really excited to talk about that. And then I'm hoping we get to hear some fun stories that, uh, about your time that you both had at UD, both as player coach and as coach coach together. So that'll be, I'm looking forward to what, what stories Ian has uh, that he can share with us. So this is a fam- family program, Seb. We're going to keep it clean, okay? Yeah, so. absolutely. Oh, absolutely. 100% PG, PG only. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll start with, with, with Ian. You know, there's been a lot of changes in the landscape of, of youth soccer over the last year. I mean, it, probably since January, we can say the landscape has changed until now. Um, what, what has been some of those changes and where do you think this is all leading to, to a certain extent? Well, I'll start with the second part of that, Seb. I think it's, it's all leading to uh, a system. Um, and the word that we use a lot here, I think is appropriate, is a pathway. Is a pathway for uh, any young boy or young girl, once they start in playing youth soccer, running around as, as a three and four year old, what's the pathway here? And I think if you look, and I'm an older head right now and, and been involved in the game for the last, you know, 30 years in youth soccer, it was very, and still is to a certain degree, but it really was very fractured from the time that, let's say, 1978, that ODP started. Um, that's now really kind of fallen for the, to the wayside in terms of identification, but it was a wonderful system at the time. Johnny was, I'm sure some of you guys were, um, uh, benefited from that system. But it really is all toward, I think, building a pathway here. And where Johnny comes in is really the identification and building of that pathway so you can help these young boys and girls self-actualize. That's a psychological term, you know, Maslow, to, to be the best that they can be and to put them on a, on, a, on a path that parents understand what the next step is. And that always hasn't been the case. And I think we still have work to do, no question about it, but I think we're starting to see now kind of a top-down build from the MLS down through the academies, now through the USL, youth academies, obviously colleges inside there, and then the better clubs kind of, you know, revisiting their philosophy and, and, um, and, and tying into that system instead of fighting that system. So there's a lot less infighting, I think, and, uh, and a clearer path for these families and these kids and coaches as well um, to travel on. So, and you brought up, and you brought up Johnny, and that's a, that's a great segue so, John, you're, you're the Director of Talent Identification. Can you give us an idea of what that, what that job title means and what your, what your role is at the union? Yeah, sure. So I, I think it's important to maybe start and make sure everyone kind of understands, you know, what our project looks like at the union because it gives, you know, reason and purpose behind why I do what I do and, and why our department does what we do. So um, the Philadelphia Union, you know, I think we're, we're, we're relatively progressive as it relates to to clubs in the United States and MLS. We have a, uh, a full-time private middle school and high school that we run for our players, which, is, which allows us to align the soccer and the academics and not pin them against each other. And because, and certainly there's a lot of educational benefits that go along with that, um, but we're also able to control the schedule and train our players twice a day and focus on the team development for sure, but also the individual development. 
Uh, we also have a residency program for those that need. Uh, and the reason why we have these things is because one of the one of the main pillars to our competitive strategy at the Philadelphia Union is youth development. Uh, we invest more in our academy than any club in the United States. Um, but if you look at the first team rosters of Toronto FC, if you look at the first team rosters of LAFC and LA Galaxy and Atlanta United, we're clearly not outspending them in terms of talent at the first team level. But we feel that if we can develop from within, if we can identify talent, put them in through this manufacturing engine, which is our academy and develop them, showcase them to the world by playing them at the first team level, then we'll be able to transfer players over to Europe and bigger leagues. And the money that we get for them then goes to fund, fund the next wave of kids. So because youth development is at the, the, the core you know, pillars of our strategy, the work that myself and my staff do as scouts is very important because our job is to identify the top talent that we feel has potential once put in our development environment in the academy to potentially make it to our first team and beyond. So I have uh, myself and I have two full-time members of staff. One is uh, Roberto Jimenez, who has a lot of roots uh, at Delaware and played under Ian. Uh, and he's a Spanish, uh, he comes from Spain and is a really, really good friend of mine. And he's our scouting coordinator. He's been with us for about four months and has been amazing. And then another uh, man called Baba Cohn, who's our junior academy scout. Uh, so the three of us, in addition to some part-time scouts across the country, our job is to keep track and monitor the best players and all the players really in the greater Philadelphia region and determine when might be the right time to, to take them into our environment and add them to the Philadelphia Union. Once they get to the older ages, around 15, 16, we're also starting to keep tabs and be cognizant of what talent outside of our region looks like because we do have a residency program. But to keep it very, very clear, our job is to try to identify players with potential that have uh, the, you know, the possibility of potentially making it through to our first team in our organization. Yeah, I mean, we saw, we saw yesterday two local players starting in, in the starting 11 and then two more coming off the bench. Um, so I think that's and – and, and I've gotten a chance to visit <clears throat> YSE Academy and, and I've gotten a chance to visit the school. And the one thing that, that really sticks with me anytime I talk about it is the, the culture of the players when they're not on the field. Um, the, the handshakes are well, obviously, again, now we're going to move on to this new, this new normal of guidelines of not handshakes, but at the time handshakes and introducing themselves um, because at the end of the day, they don't know who's, who's really walking around. So the, the level of respect that they have with anybody that, that comes on, is extremely important. I've gotten a chance to watch the first team train as well. And that level of respect carries on to the first team as well. They, they all greet each other before, before every practice. So what's a style of player that you look for to be able to fit that, that cultural model in general? Yeah, no, it's a, and it's a really good point, Seb, because uh, our owner, Richie Graham, uh, he has a famous line that he always says to, to prospects and families or at graduation, whenever he's speaking to staff, you know, where you go in the game is irrelevant, but it's who you become in the process that is what really counts. So we have a very strong culture um, from a, a technical perspective. When our scouts and myself go out to games and tournaments and practices and look at prospects and teams, um, we try to organize our information and try to evaluate players uh, on five key categories. So 
their comfort on the ball, uh, their ability to recover the ball, uh, their physical traits, their psychosocial characteristics, and uh, you know my favorite, uh, thinking about their game understanding and decision making. So this is something that helps us organize information and start to think about what players might have that might allow them to have potential. And certainly under each category, there's so many different characteristics and, and items that players might have or might not have. Um, but ultimately, we're looking for players with potential. You know, performance versus potential, that's something we talk a lot about with our scouts and our coaches. And we have to think, and we don't have a crystal ball, so you never truly know. Um, but we do have to try to think about what a player could potentially turn into if he was in the right environment. So uh, on top of that, uh, I would say, you know, it's as, as organized and as methodical as we try to be, it, it really comes down to our eye and our intuition and, and players that have personality and that are brave and that are good people, you know? So it's, it's not just the soccer. I would really, really uh, emphasize that. It, it really is about trying to add people that we think will add to our culture and add to our environment. That's great. Um, and now going into into coach coach Ian so with that said what is the culture that you look for in a future blue hen for example and do you think that's changed over the the last three five years with in general how kids have probably changed with social media technology and everything else and you've seen and you've been at you've been at UD you're going to your uh, 15th season at UD so has that changed over the years Look, I, uh, I would say that human nature is human nature. So there's certainly idiosyncrasies, there's no question about it, social media and, and um, you know, where, there's, where young men and, and uh, women spend their time. But it's, um, it, it hasn't changed. People are people. Um, and I, 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 Johnny made a great point, and I'd, I'd like to layer on top of that. It's not just about the players. Everything that he said applies to the people as well. I'm on this podcast. I got Jenny, you got yourself, you got Dwayne, you got wonderful Anthony here. You're looking for good people. You're looking for good human beings, good characters that um, that fit into that culture, right? And uh, and um, it shouldn't be adjunct. It shouldn't be separate from playing. You you are talking about day to day human relationships that you want um, you, you want young coaches as well as young players to be uh, free to fail and to be there for them and to guide them. And then ultimately, and like in the case of Johnny, to kind of jump over me now. And, and in many ways I look to him, but, um, and that's the growth. That's what you, you love to see. And it's kind of, kind of got to be a, an ego-free environment in that regard to, to help. So it's not really um, just the, the Philadelphia Union or the University of Delaware. I think it's just any, any relationship, whether it's a family, whether it's a club, um, whether it's Delaware Union, Philadelphia Union, Barcelona. I mean, I think it's the, um, you kind of have these, these veins of truth and underpinnings and core values and the system upon which everything is built. And it applies all the way up the ladder from the, you know, the young eight-year-old or six-year-old, whatever who comes in, all the way to you as the top uh, of the ladder. So that's, that culture John is talking about is, it's probably more, um, they're in the, the, the public eye, right? So we see that. So you go up there and, and, and when things go wrong, you know, the player power right now, you see it all over the world and in big leagues and, and there's plenty of advertisement out there for when things go wrong, but not enough for me, I think, in, when things go right. But I, I don't think it's unique to any, certainly there are aspects that are unique, but I think it's just human nature and human relationships we're talking about. Now, do you think, 
and we, we focus this a lot in the club and we focused this over the last four or five years. And, you know, I've talked about it with Jenny, Anthony and Dwayne at length about this in general, but do you think the focus has, do you think the same focus was there 10, 15 years ago to focus on core values on the person itself? Or do you think that's developed over the years? Do you think that's always in there? No, absolutely not. And and that goes to the, the culture and Johnny used word like strategy and, I, you know, again, it's important to know the history here, Seb, when, when you look back at, at how soccer started again, and it, you're going back to the 20s and 30s here, but it was usually pockets, St. Louis or maybe Kearney, New Jersey or Chicago and, you know, the Polish sections up there that you had these immigrants here and, of course, you know, mixed in with wonderful American players and you had these pockets and and so that, that, that kind of, you know, individual... Um, Area development, I think, was uh, de rigueur at the time. That was the standard at the time. And, and now you have, it's about systems now, right? So the last 10, 20 years, you, you, you talk about these federations and they do, they look inside uh, at these big tournaments and they talk about changes at the French Federation. So Rambouillet and, and Clairefontaine, which is their development center, that came out of, of studies in the 90s that said, look, we need a better system. They talked about the word system, we need a strategy. You have the Barcelona, La Masia, right? So people are studying that now. And with the advent of the internet and technology, we all got to look inside the window to see what these guys are doing, right? Dutch football and what does that mean in terms of development here? So you had this plethora of information here that uh, people talked about broad strategy, the, the so-called 50,000 level looks. Um, and, and people had to stitch that together, right? In the United States then, instead of having these individual pockets, or individual teams, which you had, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Now you had to have clubs as opposed to teams that shared the strategy. Now you had to have organizations, state organizations that tied into what the rest of the country is doing. So what John, I think, is, is kind of backhandedly referring to is, is um, the kind of, you know, what's, what's the best environment? What's the best ecosystem, to use a modern term here? But you can't do that as a standalone. It's really hard to do that as a standalone. So um, I, I think maybe written into what John is talking about is is he talk about his network, right? He's got to have this entire network that he right. taps into that has to fit and has to know what they're looking for, what they're doing, and to, to hit the five categories or more that, that he's, he's looking for you. So you have to think bigger and broader. And we've seen that in Delaware, right? We've seen that with the club development and Delaware FC and Sporting and you know, the union, your, your club itself was MOT before and CDSA. And so we're all trying to stitch together because at the end of the day, whether you, you like it or not, we're all interconnected and we're all part of this web, this one big family, and, and we should be giving to each other and not fighting each other. So that's a long answer to your question. Absolutely, it's changed over the last 20 years. No question about it. It's become more, uh, it's more tied in. And I still think we have a long way to go to, to be what we'd all love to see is as one of the preeminent, um, certainly on the men's side, uh, we've already there on the women's side, but I think there's room there for improvement as well to be on the top on a regular basis. So with, with that said, John, how have you seen from your, from your side and in your perspective and your, um, your experience, how has the player pathway for players, and let's just stick to, to men or boys, that's what you're working with right now. Have you, how have you seen the player pathway change over the years in the United States? And do you think it's gotten better? Like, is that, is that, is there a way to measure that, for example? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I would echo, you know, a lot of what kind of Ian said when I was growing up and I was playing ODP was the uh, main uh, way to get identified to the national team. And at that time, they had one residency program. It was uh, for the under 17s in Bradenton and, and players like Josie Altidore and Michael Bradley and Demarcus Beasley. They were in this one residency program. But I think uh, a major shift is now that MLS has grown and developed and is a little bit more sustainable clubs are seeing that academies are really valuable in a lot of ways. So now the clubs have invested in residency programs. The club have invested in development. And I think across the country, you look at the development academy and what now will be the new MLS league. I do think there's more of a pyramid. Uh, there are different levels that, you know, if you're at this level and you do very well, that you possibly can move up to the next level. And I still think it's fractured in some ways, um, but there's a lot of really, really good players and a lot of different entities and different leagues and different tournaments. And our country is so big that there's still a lot of different pockets in the United States that they don't have, uh, you know, a development academy club available or they don't have an MLS club. So making sure that we do have different entities and different organizations that kids can be a part of and grow the game in the United States, I think that's really important. But I think, uh, you know, the the of MLS clubs and that focus, I think that's legitimized the pyramid a little bit. You know, I think you're starting to see a major shift in not all the top young high school players now are going to college like they used to, right? They're getting signed to homegrown contracts so that clubs can keep them playing 12 months a year against men. Uh, but there are still players that go off to the college ranks that end up doing really, really well uh, at the professional level. So there's a lot of different pathways. I think it's a little bit more clear than it's ever been. For me, I think how we measure success as a country is by you know, how our national team does and how many players we are producing. And I think the volume of players, you know, the quantity of quality players that we're, we're producing is, is quite good. I'm not yet convinced that the high end special type players that we're producing is as good as it can be. You know, the Christian Pulisics, the Tyler Adams, I think we need more. Um, but, you know, uh, to keep it simple, for sure, I think it's gotten much better, uh, especially for, you know, the boys side. I think it's a little bit more legitimate in a lot of ways. But the only fear I have sometimes, Seb, is that it almost becomes too professional. And we might start coaching like unders 11s and under 12s and under 13s like they're a first team. And I still think what's really important is to allow kids to enjoy and love the game and show their personality and be brave and express themselves in a really, really positive way. And I think, uh, you know, Ian, for me, can work at any level, professional, college, youth, but something I took so much out of his time working with young kids is just how much fun he would have with them and how he would give the game to them. And he's not just trying to coach them through everything and, and uh, try to make decisions for them. They have to express themselves and be free to fail. And uh, that's my only fear at times is that we almost take uh, the youth development too serious at the younger ages. So I want to share, share a story there, Seb, because John talks yeah. about KPIs and indicators and, and I, look, one of the KPIs for me is is how many players do we have playing at the highest level, right? And John, John nailed it there with Christian Pulisic, but we, we need to have 10, 15 playing at the top teams in the world. That's a great indicator. If you look at Spain, they're playing with Barcelona, Real, top clubs. Um, we need to see that. We need Chelsea. We need Man City represented by our players. We need Bayern Munich represented by our players. That's one key metric. And, and, and I'll, I'll kind of... Um, for me with the younger kids um, I'll compare that really really loosely when John 
when I had the ODP team, he had a very talented team and he was part of New Jersey ODP North and I had worked in with ODP for uh, for a while before that. But I used to give them this little task that I would ask these guys to juggle as a group from one end of the field to the other. And if they did it, they'd get ice pops. Nobody ever did it. Nobody grew, but John's group <laughs> was the first. And I was stuck on these guys' ice pops and it's a little tell. So for me, the KPI was ice pops at his age. And for now, it's uh, it's it's Chelsea and whatnot. So things are getting better for sure. But um, yeah, I think John, you know, he sees it firsthand. His fingers on the pulse here. But And I couldn't agree more. Certainly at the top end, we see it on the women's side, no question about it. Uh, our girls, our ladies are playing uh, here in the United States. But I think the French and English leagues and German leagues may be catching up as well. But we have representation there as a country on the women's side, not so much on the men's side. So do you think, do you think from a, uh, and, and I guess you both have, have an impact on this. So do you think we almost to a certain extent start forecasting to the 2026 World Cup or the women's 2027 World Cup? Do we look at players that are, you know, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old and start looking at them for those World Cups to a certain extent? Boss. I would say that, you know, I, I, you would never put pressure on an 11 or 12 year old kid. Like I have to develop them for the world cup. But yet, like if I'm a 13 or a 14 year old kid and I see the shift in national teams and especially in the United States of how young our national team is getting, if I'm a 14 year old, if I'm 15, like I am thinking as a player that I, if I develop and I do well, I could be playing in the 2026 world cup. That's how I would look at it. And we talk to our players about that. Um, you know, holistically and generally just to add to motivation. Right. Um, but for sure, that's not something we talk about every day with our players whatsoever. Um, but it is something that I keep in mind a lot because it, it is a reality. We're getting younger as a country. We're putting a lot more faith and trust in younger players at the MLS level, at the, you know, the national team level. Uh, and for me, there's no, I would be surprised if we didn't have a lot of young players on that 2026 roster. Cause I think that's the, that's the trend. That's where we're headed, and uh, I'm really, really excited about that. Well, I mean, the other part of that, Seb, I would say, forgive me, just yeah. to add on here, that we should not um, um, ignore here is that there's a business interest. So, you know, you go back to the old NESL in the, you know, the late 70s, 80s. You had the Cosmos. You had massive names, Pelé and Beckenbauer coming over. Then it kind of died off because the league uh, folded. But you have, I mean, don't underestimate here the power of uh, the business interests, right? So there is, um, when I played New York in 1996, you could buy a franchise for five to $10 million in the MLS. The buy-in for Charlotte recently was 274 million. The valuation of LAFC was close to 700 million, heading to a billion with a B. So right. don't underestimate the power of, of, you talk about the 2026 World Cup and the runway to the World Cup that there's going to be a lot of interests from abroad and internally in, in showcasing their guy, the Pulisics or um, the Mark McKenzie's of the world, or, you know, the Anthony Fontana's that, that John works, Aronson, Brandon Aronson to, uh, to buy these guys and, and to, to, to be the role models at the time to John's point about, you could be like him. Look, he was here in this classroom. He played with the union and he was a little guy. He's a small guy and he's a, a thin guy, but look where he's at right now. And I'm not going to want to go pressure on, on the young man's shoulder, but Pulisic's a great example of that. So that part as well in terms of, of growth and development is critical. And that, that always didn't go hand in hand, football, soccer, and the business interests sometimes actually would fight each other. But I think now um, there's a real kind of business acumen and, and, and a broader sense here that 
uh, we can build together uh, the culture, but you have to have different areas of expertise come together to to build um, what John is talking about to create that um, that environment for, for success at, at the world uh, top level. Well, and, and to John's point, you know the players are getting younger. The 2018 Russia World Cup saw Kylian Mbappe as a 19 year old lift the World Cup trophy um, for France it, as a 19 year old. Um, and not only that, being able to play pretty much every game and, and every minute of it and and stand at that world stage, at the top of the world stage of, of football, soccer, and not not be not feel the pressure of it. So the, the idea of a 19, 20, 21-year-old American player getting onto that stage and performing really well, I think, is speaks highly. And we've seen it. I mean, Mark McKenzie was the captain of the under-20 World Cup for the U.S., uh, Brendan Aronson's already been invited into the camps uh, before, so there's <clears throat> the the idea of uh, of younger players, a Weston McKinney, as well being able to step into those into those roles too. I think is is extremely important. All right, so I appreciate both of you coming on. I think this has been uh, a fantastic um, chat and a sharing of ideas. And I think that's ultimately the the goal of this is for us to be able to share ideas and and find out more about the the intricacies of, of all of you, both of you as, as people. But I think your roles in the, in the player development, you know, world that we're, that we're living in. Um, and for, so for you, John is a talent director of talent identification for the Philadelphia union Academy. And, and for Ian as the UD men's soccer coach, um, I just want to say thank you for coming on. I, it's been an absolute pleasure to have both of you both of you on this well i'll say thanks a million guys you're absolutely an extended part of our family i hope our soccer family i hope you feel the same way and thrilled to be on um your viewer or your listeners won't know but we're on zoom at the moment so good to see your handsome faces and uh especially in this time it's tough right so it's just good yeah. to have a conversation about the game and then i'm really glad and good to see the wonderful john and and uh it's fantastic just to talk the game, right? When we, that's, that's why we, we do what we do because we talk and, and struggle and, and uh, celebrate this beautiful game. So thanks for that last hour. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, appreciate it. So much, guys. It's a lot of fun. Dwayne, send me your shirt size. We'll get you something. <laughs> Perfect. There you go. Perfect. All right. See you, man. See ya. All right. We are moving on to the MLS's back tournament. What a, what a win. What a win last night by the Union. It was impressive. Yeah, I mean, not only not only what a win, what a pass by Brendan Aronson. That's all I'm going to say about it. That's it. Uh, the term was just as good. That. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not talking anymore. I'm done. I'm done with that topic. That's Brendan Aronson is all I have to say, and I'm I'm dropping the mic and leaving. He's been watching some Ricky Pooch. He's been watching some Ricky Pooch. Jenny, Jenny, have you have you looked up some Ricky Pooch? I'm gonna be honest. I did not look him up. Oh, Jenny. I'll get on it. So no, I mean, great win, great win by uh, by the Philadelphia Union. Uh, now they await the the winner of the NYCFC versus Portland, uh, the Timbers. 
that'll be an interesting matchup. Um, and then tonight on uh, tonight is Orlando against LAFC, and then tomorrow is San Jose against Minnesota. So, you know, so far, I think the the seven, sorry, the um, the six teams remaining are all real really good teams. I think they all play a good style of soccer. So I think I'm excited to see who's going to to come out of this and who's going to be in the semifinals. Who would you guys rather play? NYFC or Portland? I mean, New York, New York is different than the first team that than the first time they've, they've developed over the last four games or three games, no four games, sorry. uh, In comparison to the first game they played against the union. So that's different. Portland is Portland. They're, they're good. They, they have a solid squad. They have uh, very good players. So, neither. Shout out to that player of the match from last week in Portland. That's right. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Uh, To be honest with you, I have, I have no idea. Uh, If I had to pick, I would choose get a buy. I'd like to just move on to the, move on to the final, uh, not even worry about it. You guys know it's hard to play a team that you've already played. Then it's like changed their whole dynamic. Like they're ro- like NYCFC is rolling. Yeah, play that's good. that's true. But at the same time, you play NYCFC often. It's not just like a sure. one-time thing. Like you know, you each know each other. I think when it comes to, I think you would rather know your opponent a little bit than not know your opponent as much when you're playing in a semifinal winner-take-all match. Yeah, I think they. I don't even think they worry about the opponent. They just got to keep playing the way they're playing, and they'll be okay. Honestly. It'll definitely make for a very interesting uh, semifinal. And we'll talk about it next week. Another huge save. Andre Blake, yes. Uh, th- there was a rebound that was scored, but he was offsides. But that initial save was, was huge. Very good. Yeah, very good. Now, he has a lot of confidence, which is, which is what you want out of your goalkeeper, especially at this stage of the game. Um, so we did not predict the winner uh, or actually I should say Anthony did not predict the correct winner of the NWSL cup uh, because Dwayne and I uh, abstained from, uh, from, from picking last week on the air. Oh, that was off the air. Oh man. Whoops. Whoops. Well, now they do. Uh, So Houston, Houston uh, wins the uh, NWSL challenge cup beating uh, Chicago uh, 2-0. So, uh, and not only that, uh, that game set the NWSL record for TV audience, 653,000 people, which was great, fantastic. Uh, Over half a million people watched the game. So very, very exciting for NWSL, which I think is a growing league. Uh, look, really looking forward to what's to come next year with, with them and the expansion teams coming on board as well. All right. So player of the match. I mean, we already know, we already know Jenny's, I think. Yeah. Brendan Aronson. That's right. Yeah. Um, he's, he's really good. Yeah, he's good. His assist, good. His assist was fantastic. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> That's my style of assist right there. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. Uh, Anthony, who do you have? Um, so I went uh, on the last day of the Premier League, and uh, there was a lot of good soccer, a lot of great games. But 
maybe one of the the games that was probably least watched because it didn't have anything to do with anything was the Man City game. And uh, if if you can go to those highlights and watch Kevin De Bruyne, it was maybe maybe two of the most pimped out goals you will ever see in your life. I mean, he had two absolute stunners and just walked away from him like he did absolutely nothing. Like it's just everyday life for him. Uh, it was just the the two goals. It was it was. I mean, world-class goals, like best goals of the league goals, and he just walks away from them like it's nothing. Just like, yeah, you know, I'm here. We got second place. I'm not even happy I'm scoring goals right now. <laughs> you know, so it was it was phenomenal. If you got a chance to check out those highlights, check them out. There you go. Dwayne. Well, with uh, Olivier Giroud, uh, kind of switched it up a little bit, but he – yeah, he's been on fire the past couple of weeks. He's not really a play. He's a player that's really fallen off. Well, I wouldn't say fallen off, but he's not really you know, the guy anymore. But ever since this restart started, he's or restarted. He's been on a scoring path for uh, Chelsea. Yeah, look at see that into the FA Cup. Yeah, wow. t- tomorrow FA Cup final tomorrow. Tomorrow, uh, one o'clock, twelve fifty-five or something like that uh, against Arsenal. His goal uh, over the weekend on Sunday, where he just outworks the keeper, is just it's just yeah. the typical Giroud goal. Yeah. All right. I went. I went Slatan. Uh, so, I mean, what do you guy, mean? Why Slatan told him to? This guy. <laughs> yeah. Right. The lion. The lion. Uh, this guy scores. He's the only soccer player in history to score fifty goals for both Milan clubs, Inter Milan and AC Milan, the only player in history to do that. Not only that, he puts out a video that says he's just getting started. And then he compares himself to Benjamin Button and says that he just doesn't get old. He's going, he's getting younger. He's the coolest player in soccer. I used to, I used to think it was just arrogance but now I just have a belief that it's just that is that is his drive. It's truly how he thinks. Yeah, absolutely. And to be honest with you, I respect him for it. I absolutely respect respect him for it. And I remember I used to watch, if you have never seen this, uh, go watch Jurgo Bonito. Uh it used to be this like Nike um like YouTube videos, things that that Eric Cantona did used to do go watch the challenge of Slatan against Ronaldo and watch him try to out juggle each other. It, it's on, it's unreal. Watch all those videos. All those videos are awesome. They're fantastic. But, well, and, and over quarantine, he and Paul Bill actually were doing one back and forth as well. Yeah. Yeah. Just, he's so cool. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. All right. So, on this day in soccer history. So this is going to be a little bit of a, of a fun little history lesson, I believe. So July 31st, 1971, the Dutch club go ahead adds in the Eagles at the end to now become the go ahead Eagles. Now you may have been thinking to yourself, Sebastian, who in the world is the go ahead Eagles? Well, they're a club from the Netherlands that uh, played in the Eredivisie, which is the top division in in, in the, the Netherlands for a long time. They're now 
in the second division. But what's really cool about that specific year is that they changed their they changed their um or they add Eagles because that's the part of the crest of where they're from. Um they add Eagles to the to the end of their name and that year in the Air Divisi they play Ajax. Ajax goes undefeated until they play the go ahead Eagles which they lose to. Ajax loses the only game in the entire season to the go ahead and Eagles two uh, three to two. Does anybody trivia question for the three of you? Does anybody know who was playing in the Ajax team that year? No. That's right. A 24 year old Johan Cruyff who was in his second to last season before he goes to Barcelona. So that in and of itself is pretty cool. So I can see that Anthony right now is absolutely stunned by this, uh, this day in soccer history. I definitely didn't know. That's for sure. Yeah. But now you, so now if you ever hear, go ahead, Eagles, you know where they're from. I 31st every year will forever be the go ahead Eagles year. That's right. <laughs> We had Eagles Day, yep. Yeah. Make sure we're talking about the soccer team and not, you know, Philly. You know how those fans get. That's true. Yeah. We're not here to bash football fans, okay? <laughs> All right. Fair play of the week. I'm gonna I'm gonna go first on this one. And I'm gonna go with uh Mikel Arteta, the Arsenal uh manager, coach, whatever you want to call it. Um so they asked him today or they asked him this week leading up to the FA Cup final if him and Frank Lampard could be, in theory, the next Klopp and Guardiola, so the next Pep and Klopp. Um, well, he automatically says, don't compare me and don't compare me and Lampard to them. Like, we're younger, we're, or not, we're not younger, we're just starting out. We, we're, we're trying to create our own history. Um, so I... I commend him for that. He and and it's not it can't be easy for him to in general live under the shadow and, and to a certain extent of Pep because he's worked with him for so many years. And not only that, he played at Arsenal. He won an FA Cup with Arsenal. So, uh, you know, kudos to kudos to him for uh for going, "You know what? I got this. Don't, I I'm going to make my own history here. I don't need to be compared to anybody else. Uh I I'm going to do my own thing." So, good for him. Uh, uh, let's see who, uh, who wants to go next. I'm going to leave the, uh, who wants to Jenny, Jenny, you want to go first next? Yeah, I'll go. Kay. Um, at first I had the union winning, but I'm going to open it up and do Nike. I don't know if you guys have seen their new ad that they just put out, but I just thought it was really good about like how sports are overcoming all of the issues during this time dealing with the virus and then about like equal playing fields and everything that's happened with like the black lives matter movement too. So. Yeah. yeah very, very, very strong commercial. Uh, Anthony, I think yours is kind of a right up the, that same alley. Um, so I, I went away from soccer um, and uh, obviously the NBA started last night and they have a pretty strict policy for standing during the national anthem. Um, and every single player kneeled uh, 
during the national anthem and the commissioner came out and said during this time we're going to use it as a platform and for the time being that rule of standing for the national anthem is is no longer so you do what you feel is right and i think that when you have these athletes and it was similar to how the union with the mls won their first game yep and just how all the mls in general um interior Henri, we talked about when you have these huge athletes and sports have been gone for so long and everyone's watching uh, to allow them to bend the rules a little bit, to allow them to express, um, you know, what they feel is right and to fight for their own message and for the message of our whole nation right now, I just think is class. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, kudos to the NBA. Yeah. Dwayne. Shout out to uh, my MLS pool keeper, Charlie Leo. Um, so MLS has a pool keeper system just in case one of your keepers get a red card or, or not fit. Most teams carry two keepers, so they have a pool keeper um, just to make sure you have a backup. Um, so he's been tagging along. He tagged on with the Union this year or last year. Um, he's been tagging along with Kansas City and Portland this year. Um, so I think he might be on his way home right now because he was with Kansas, he flew in with Kansas City, so they lost. So he may be on his way home, or he may stick around with Portland and see if he can get a ride home there. But shout out to him. He's kind of isolated by himself. He's away from all the teams except for training. Um, but he's still getting the opportunity to be a big part of the MLS back. <clears throat> I, ne- I never knew that. Um, that's probably got to be one of the toughest jobs in general. Uh, not only not only being a goalkeeper is difficult, but being a second or third third string goalkeeper because the your opportunities to play are very very limited very yeah. limited. unless something drastically changes from a performance perspective it's, i think it's only happened one time in the entire mls this back tournament where a goal there was a goalkeeper change uh due to performance you know so it, it doesn't happen often so good good yeah nice i like yeah, that. he's got a guy's got to be optimistic he gets a phone call to send us go sit in the bubble for yeah. Two months. Yeah, that's true. We may need you or we may not need you. You may just sit here and collect yeah. a check for two months. All right. So, Jenny, before we end this amazing episode that we had today, give us the social media one more time where people can reach out and send Dwayne some free shirts. So, facebook.com backslash Delaware Union, Instagram at Delaware Union Soccer, and Twitter at DE Union Soccer. Fantastic. Uh, we're still waiting on those shirts. So, you know, <laughs> I'm working on it. Yeah. So, all right. Thanks for joining us this week. And remember, always receive the ball on your front foot. Mm-hmm.